And um, so, yeah, I, I started turning two a lot more in, in practice, getting three, running four, like starting to really feel like my goal of running 41 since I was five, like all of ours, yeah. right? Coming out the gates at 41 is something that we all think of and dream of. And for the first time last summer, I felt like, hey, this is this is doable. This isn't impossible. This is something that with a little bit more work and it, it might it might happen. everyone welcome back to part two of my interview with Dane Meckler I'm particularly excited to share it today as Dane will be competing in the semifinals of the water ski nation head-to-head competition so I hope that you get to check that out this second part we get a little bit more recent in terms of uh, Dane last season and maybe the last two seasons and also a little bit more personal. I asked Dane some questions about his technique, uh, some of his experiences uh, here in Tallahassee, and also some of his ideas from his um, business experience of what he deems would help to promote the sport of water skiing. So very excited to share this with the water skiing community. The other thing that I want to announce, and I kind of prefaced it a few days ago, is that I've opened a second podcast and this podcast is called Water Ski Bits. And the idea behind the Water Ski Bits is essentially to share more uh, shorter, I guess, audio clips from all the interviews that I've been amassing over the last few months. So for now, I don't know when you will be listening to this, but for now, you can check it out if you go to thewaterskipodcast.com slash bits you'll see the first five bits up there. And then soon enough, I'm hoping by the end of this week, early next, uh, you'll be able to find it on Spotify and Apple Podcast. It's currently on Stitcher and Google Podcasts, simply because they're a bit faster with approvals of new podcasts. But So you can find it there if you normally listen to podcasts on um, Google Podcast or Stitcher. It should be on Spotify and on Apple very shortly. I submitted this early this week. Uh, but in the meantime, if you want to release in some of those bits, you can go to thewaterskipodcast.com slash bits. And the idea is basically sharing some of the advice that get previous guests gave uh, rather than some cool stories, just a bit more of like a five to 10 minutes uh, audio clip that you can share on social media and promote some of the um, content there. So yeah, with that said, let's enjoy part two with Dane and I'll catch you next week. Good. Yep. All right. We came back from a little break, you know. Um, so we covered your two world titles. Yep. Um, there's something that I really want to cover on, which is your last year's open world world championship experience. But before we go there, uh, I know that a lot of people are curious about your skiing technique. Uh, I would say it stands off as a little bit different, mm-hmm. right? Um, 
and you kind of alluded to how, you know, obviously your dad influenced that a lot, kind of keeping it simple, used, let the boat do the work. But um, do you have maybe going to quarries and seeing other skiers or, you know, as you sort of progressed in your career, you must have noticed that people were doing things a little differently. Like, yep. how did that sh- help shaping your technique? Yeah, so I I will just, just mention again, I, I do think my dad was a little bit ahead of the time in bringing us up. It was always very, like, you know, everything easy, 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 very, you know, use the boat, let the boat do the work, kind of stay balanced, yeah. stay over the ski. And um, when we started going to Corey's, Corey had a huge influence on my skiing. Um, Corey, as you know, but yeah. may, may, you know, some may not, is one of, I think, the greatest slalom coaches out there oh i would agree yeah hands down and Corey will always talk you know it was a little bit of a different perspective it was a little bit more balance a little bit more be efficient a little bit more you know kind of from a trick ski perspective you know staying over your ski always being front foot kind of getting the rhythm progressive and all that and i think he really had an impact you know influenced the skiers that came through his ski school oh for sure and at the time, I got very lucky to be exposed to Daniel Edvarko, you know, Adam Sedemeyer, as I'd, as I'd mentioned. And um, these guys, my first week, one of, one of the first, um, okay, not first weeks, but I, I spent a week when I was still skiing 55K mm-hmm. down at Corey's, and Adam and Daniel were running Lake 3. I showed up on a good, and at the time... Being 55k was my last year in boys too. I was running 35s. I was I was trying to learn how to run 38. Yeah. And those guys really took me in, and um, I think a lot of what my dad talked about, I started to hear a bit from them for the first time. You know, kind of that, you know, rhythm, use the boat, let everything happen. You know, right. Stand in the and and those guys, I think, shaped me a bit more than they know. Mm-hmm. Um. And I, I th- also with Corey and, um, but yeah, I, I think I've always taken a being shorter. I knew that I had, you know, I, I couldn't sacrifice anything on technique. Uh-huh. You know, I, I, I had to do it every, any little thing, you know, to be more efficient on the water. Um, so yeah, I, I th- it was something that I really focused on staying over the ski, letting the boat swing me, letting the boat do the work and, uh, just kind of grew from there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And oh. then, you know, um, let, let me tease it out. Let, okay. like, I kind of want some specifics here. Because, for instance, you have a very peculiar gait, yeah. right? Uh, your stance over the ski, you know, you're very, very like much on your front foot. Like if we could draw a string, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be even in between your feet. It would be almost like it directly onto your front foot, right? Yep. Um, you hold the handle very close. Like some of the things that you don't see around. How did that gate shock came about? So being left foot forward, I didn't have a ton of people to watch to kind of, mm-hmm. right? Most people I'd say in our sport are predominantly right foot forward, which is their onside. So having the offside turn in for the gate, I sort of, you know, I don't want to say I, you know, I had to figure out on my own, but there wasn't a lot to look to. I remember I used to watch Parrish quite a bit, Classic. who does it better than anyone. Classic. And super tall, super over his front foot, lets the ski roll in, set before he loads the line. And um, sort of watching that combined with, um, you know, Corey was always very much, you know, we, I'd ski with him and all we talk about is the gate. Right. 
right? It was very much gate, pull out, everything. And, and you see it with Regina. Um, Regina's very focused on her gait, and I, I think that really came from Corey as well. Yeah. Um, but I, I'd say a lot of it was just obviously trial and error, but trying to figure out what worked where I could get my ski underneath of me without the line being on me to be able to swing to one, let the boat swing me to one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and it's something that I, I started to kind of coach, and coaching has a has an interesting way for you to reflect on your own. I agree. Kind of style. And I think that really helped me a lot starting to coach at Corey's, kind of talk people through their gates. What are you feeling? What am I seeing? What do I feel? Um, and just learning how to get the ski underneath me without, you know, moving the arms or w w without, you know, right. any moves that you don't want. So. Right, right. So, like, efficiency seems to be, like, you know, yeah, one of the, the, the core, you know. And, and it's funny to me that, like, we do get efficient on the ski in different ways, right? Like oh, to each his own in a sense, but very efficient. So for instance, you, you brought up Parrish. Yep. Obviously he's much taller than you, he's much taller than most skiers. Mm -hmm. But, and I would defend, he's one of the most efficient skiers out there, but he's super tall throughout the whole course, you know, through the wakes, waiting for the ball, after the ball. Once, for instance, I would defend you're very tall into the wakes, yeah. but then you really use your legs to set up the ski into into the apex. Yeah, and I, I think that actually came about, I, I was really working on, for a long time I worked on trying to take my hands through the edge change and in front of me mm -hmm. to be able to set the position and then move away. And to do that, being short, I felt like I really needed to unweight the feet. So my focus for a while was really tall into the first wake, but then move the hands through, through the edge change in front of me. Um, and I think that's kind of where that style came, mm -hmm. you know, where people are, hey, you know, you're looking like you're, um, you know, squatting a bit. And, and sometimes I, I, I certainly get in the bad habit of doing it into the first wake and need to be re realigned. But right. for me, moving that ski through center line um, and getting it on the opposite edge being short, I, I think I gain a lot of space mm -hmm. by, you know, sort of bringing the hands in front of me, the feet get unweighted, other edge, you know, change edge, and then I'm, I'm set and, and the work is sort of done and just need to hold. And it, and, and it seems to me like it's, I guess, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's a lot of skiers that use their legs to edge change or through yeah. the edge change, yeah. if we want to call it that. But to me, yours is very much more deliberate. You know, like the others, it seems to be, I would include myself too, like it's kind of like a consequence of the wakes. Yep. And so we sort of learned how to deal with the wakes by using our legs. Mm -hmm. Whereas yours seems kind of almost timed, right? You you kind of have that moment. To me, the classic for you is like into 135. Like you sort of like do it and then you're super tall into the into the, the, the turn. Yep. And then the crazy thing is that the second you, you hang, you grab the handle, there's not a part of your body that moves. Right. It's yeah. such a such a unique style. But I mean, clearly it's been super effective. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to think back on what really drove that. But um, a lot of my sets growing up, I mean, you know, it wasn't like I had like, you know, coach every single day or, you know, very right. I was kind of back in Cincinnati. I go down to Corey's. I, you know, I was kind of skiing all over, trying to figure out on my own a little bit, mm -hmm. watching videos and all that. And um, so I, I think it just sort of kind of developed. But to be able to get out to one ball at 39 or, or 41 when I started getting there, I, I think I sort of 
started to develop that and and I started to f- to feel the effects of that mm-hmm. and doing that in the 135 where I could stay small to where when I got off the handle I could really open up and and get out there. Yeah. Because th- the look that I have which 100% different than someone like Parrish, right? right? Right. Coming into one at 41 is is super narrow. Right. Right? And and I think staying small and over the ski and balance allows me to get away from it to be able to you know, let the ski go out and come back and and have the space. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think it sort of just developed over time. It wasn't something where I was like, okay, I'm going to do something totally different and, and try and, you know, use my legs to, to edge change. No, I, I think it was more like that's what started to work. And then it, it kind of just started to become habit. And yeah. yeah, yeah, no, that's cool. And, and the other, the other one thing about your technique that I kind of want to touch on, because I think you do it very well. And it's something that a lot of people talk about, but I want to hear your perspective, handle control right yeah. so off the second wake into the apex out of the turn like do you focus on that or 100 percent. i as, as soon as i get disconnected i have no chance mm-hmm. just being short i i um i really try and feel the you know something that i talk a lot about and and what my uh, you know even my dad early on was feeling the boat you know keeping that handle control keeping keeping the line tight um you know, and Corey was also a big on that is, is using your hands to, to, you know, through the edge change to kind of, you know, really as little movement as possible with the handle. Yep. Right. You're, you're, you're setting it and moving away and coming back to it. And then you're, you're set again, you know? And, and I think that's something I focused on that a ton, especially coming back to the handle, Mm, I would say is, is really setting it, opening up, but then for a while there, I, I, w- I would try and, and take it back aw- right away and I get stuck. And I think something that helped me really open up running 39 consistent was setting the handle, getting away from it, but then really trying to relax and let come back to it. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, and I think the advantage there is is you just keep the line tight. So the boat's, you know, obviously not spiking and, you know. I think that's that's something that people don't talk about as much or maybe not even with the right terminology because we see a lot of like skiers throwing the handle as I would say right so yep. the edge change and they sort of like throw the handle towards the boat they right. create slack they lose connection but I think the other another huge part is that calmness and a lot of people talk about it in terms of like getting back to the handle mm-hmm. but you said it I think in a better way you said like con- like control and be patient you know yep. like the handle will get what it needs to be but you don't rush into getting it towards you yeah right yeah i mean ideally the ski comes back at the same you know kind of the same speed or whatever as it goes out right so if you get away from it set it let the ski go out and it, it comes back and and that that moment of being patient and and having that trust that you know the ski is going to come back and set um and allows you to kind of get in that progressive pull earlier mm-hmm. than per se if you have to reset and right and um, and I think a lot of that came from my dad used to talk a lot about turn then go right and it was that turn set go right right and it was that turn not pause but pause with you know with the balance yeah. Yeah, I make sure you are balanced as you turn Moving before you through, try yeah. to accelerate. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And I th- and I mean, it seems to me that has been serving you well as a two four because let's face it, a lot of left foot forward skiers are extremely on site turn heavy and that sort of survival two four. Yeah. But one of the things that strikes me with you or say with CP is that you're way more symmetric of a skier 
being mm-hmm. left foot forward than, than the rest, you know? Yeah, I think 2-4 is certainly something I work on every day. It's, you know, obviously trying to turn two at 41 was a huge task for me. Yep. Um, took a long time and, and still, frankly, is, is a, you know, everything has to go well for, me, for it to happen. I'm trying to kind of narrow in what exactly it, it is to, to get through that. But um, something that, you know, I, I think helps me through 2-4 is really just staying over the ski staying over the ski as long as I can, really just being balanced. And um, I think that certainly helps me in, in tougher conditions as well. Well, we're actually, uh, I think it's time to talk about it. You're sitting, if you look to the right, to that three ball, which is the first time you got to three ball at 41. First right? time ever, 2016, I think it was a September tournament. Yep. Um, I had, at the time, that 2016 year was a great year for me. I'd run a lot of 39s um, and lot of twos lot of twos. lot of twos and and still after but that three ball right there was a huge milestone for me i remember the first day i ran two and a half couldn't hold on to it and the second day first set turn two line came tight and i was like oh my god you know and, i'm going uh, i'm going so yeah i got three right here at lake 38 um which i mean is not a given, but here with the perfect conditions and perfect boat and the environment. And, and I think that that event we had, I don't know, I think like Jason McClintock was here. I think maybe T-Gas and yeah. Will Asher. Yeah, maybe. JT. I, you yeah, know, yeah. It, it, it had a little bit more to it than just. Like half of a pro event. Yeah, honestly, absolutely. You know? absolutely. And, yeah. and seeing those guys turn it and, you know, that, that goes a long way too. It's like, all right, I, you know. Yeah. Those guys just ran, to, you know. And was that your first fall? No, it wasn't your first fall here. You no. came, you moved here the year after. The year after. So that was my fall of my senior year of Lafayette. Okay. Yep. Okay. Talk about a little bit of the year we spent together, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've been kind of waiting to talk about that. It, it was a tremendous year for me. I remember I graduated Lafayette and I was kind of unsure of exactly what to do. It was, was it time to enter the workforce? Was it time to maybe go back and get more education? Maybe it was time to pursue skiing a little bit more, which I didn't think I was quite ready to do. Um, and like I said earlier, academics were always sort of the driving force for me. It was sort of the priority. And yep. hopefully I would be able to ski, but, you know, academics was something I really pushed. And, um, you know, through, you know, talking to you and, and um, you know, having spent time over here and seeing your experience at Florida State, um, I kind of put that on my radar as, as hey, they, they have this tremendous master's in finance program and um, ended up going for it. So, yeah, I got to move to Lake 38 and live with you. First of all, got accepted. Accepted, Got accepted, got a graduate assistantship, which helped cover costs. And, um, yeah, so things really just fell into place there. For the, you know, leaving Lafayette, I I don't, I just have, you know, of course, like through your journey, you have these moments where you're like, how did that all fall into place? You know, like you have so many people that you could thank and reach out to and, and it, you know, and certainly yourself and Keith, through that process, it was it was like a dream. You know, it was unbelievable. It was, it was such a great opportunity. So, yeah, I was able to move in, lived with you. We were able to ski together every day, yeah. pushing each other, just 39 after 39 <laughs> after 30, you know. Yeah, yeah. Just, um, and yeah, so we can talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, I think it's, I think that that kind of goes back to what we were talking about, you know, like, Almost like what you felt probably when you moved to UL, which was what I felt when I moved to UL. Wow, now I get to ski every day yep. with people at my level or better, right? And that's going to help 
in any way, you know, whether it's watching them ski, skiing with them, but silently against them, you know, like, cause you don't want to say it, right. but you know, when I would show up to, we would show up to the lake, you ski two. Yeah. I mean, I kind of want to get to three, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> no, I remember like getting out of class, pretty tired, you know, okay, let's go ski and not really feeling it. And you go out and you just smoke 39. I'm like, well, I'm not doing back to back, you know, <laughs> right, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, but I think also just coming here, having Keith driving every day, yep. you know, willing to pull us like one of my favorite drivers, um, you know, being here at Lake 38 where the conditions are perfect. I was really able to focus on some things that, you know, I may not have been able to focus on before or, or think about some things through talking with Keith and yourself. And, yeah. um, now that year we didn't, a lot of skiing we had a great time and a lot of grilling too a lot yeah. of grilling a lot of cooking i remember um fall of that year we were meant to go to bennett's, bennett's. yeah how cool is you that remember? story yeah i remember and uh, we well. were both crushing it we were skiing well yeah things were doing like we were both really skiing well we went to a ski watch tournament together kind of last minute we we're like oh yeah you know yeah. let's go over and ski that tournament we both skied well and um you know we're finally into our final few weeks of training you know, and one last term of the year was at Bennett's and unfortunately, was it hurricane something? Yeah, there was a was? hurricane watch and, you know, like. Yeah. Anyway, so they ended up canceling the tournament and Mateo and I had been in full on like eat healthy, ski every day, you know, yeah, trying yeah. to do everything we could to get an extra buoy at 41. Because, I mean, we were getting to three consistently, consistently. I remember. I remember yeah. like I think both of us got into 41 at, at ski watch. Yep. And I remember there were a few weeks in before Bennett's and we're like, dude, we're gonna go like we're gonna yeah. go far at Bennett's. Right. We're skiing really good. Yeah, so we really got into it and <laughs> as soon as that tournament unfortunately got cancelled, it was full on off season. I mean, <laughs> yeah, right away. Right straight away. to the store, you know, and, and um, you know, I, obviously you know I like to cook and, and you as well and, and we made some just unbelievable meals, but yeah, that month was like it was a it was a lot of like ragu, a lot of comatose <laughs> post meal, followed yeah. by Catan games. You know, like yeah, it, it no, was just it like was, the season was over. The season <laughs> was over. It, it was time to, to take a step back and and enjoy the off season for a bit. Which um, yeah, yeah. Now speaking of of season, you had a pretty stellar season last year, man. I mean. You were like, let's start with worlds, you know, because yeah. obviously I, let's put it into perspective. Like you, you did a year here. We had a tremendous time, yep. moved to Charlotte to work. Yep. Right. So now yet another challenge of like finding place to ski, time to ski. Yeah. So as I graduated here, I was, um, you know, a, a tremendous opportunity in Charlotte, North Carolina with Grant Thornton. Um, and I ended up taking that job with kind of the thought of, I don't know how skiing is going to go from here. You know, it's yep. my first like real full on job, you know, hours are high and, you know, expectations are, are, are high. And, um, I just feel so lucky to be able to be in Charlotte, like to have yet again, walked into a situation where I don't know how much better it could get right. for what I need to do. Um, and so, yeah, I ski, for those um, who know the, the facility, I ski at Little Mountain Lakes, which is um, the Neils place, which is Neely Ross's grandparents. Yep. Um, it's one of the most beautiful sites I've ever seen. It's unreal. It is really absolutely is. perfect. It's the same family who built, you know, Lakes Hancock. And uh, anyway, 
um, it's a perfect place to train. And I, I sort of got um, connected with Jeff Gilbert, who was a former and great tournament driver, used to you know drive tons of pro events, um, and sort of to the same tune as Keith is, is very in tune with you know ski setup and and um, you know dialing things in. Everything has to be perfect. I mean, yeah. if if a buoy's an inch tall, we're lowering it. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And um, so I yet again ended up skiing with him. Also Graham Pfizer, another great skier. And uh, so I had these great ski partners to once again, you know, after work, be able to push myself. Yeah. And I think through that process, I learned a lot about myself. Just first of all, having to, you know, be at work all day. Um, it really taught me to use every opportunity. Every set was, there was a purpose to it, mm-hmm. you know, and it wasn't in school. Obviously, you know, you have a lot going on, but there's time where, you know, skiing can just feel like another part, another part of the day. Right. And every time I got to get out to the lake, at least for the first months, because I didn't know how many times I'd get out there. Right. It was like, I'm here, I'm taking every advantage, I'm going to make the most of this. So I think that really helped, um, you know, mentally, but also helped my skiing a lot. Right. Um, Yeah, no, I think that it kind of comes out of necessity almost, right? Like you're rushing to the lake. I mean, I think this is an experience a lot of listeners can relate to you know you're yeah. getting out of work daylight is limited you yeah. know like you have to get out there and you get it to squeeze a set in you have to use it right? right particularly if you have goals of competing and still being competitive which i'm sure you know the second knowing you i'm sure that once you figured out that you had a situation where you could train mm-hmm. your thought might have been oh yeah i get to ski but embedding in the thought must have been i get to compete yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it sort of felt like as soon as I felt good enough or comfortable enough with my skills to really compete and have a chance at, you know, making podium and making finals, um, you know, I I had always prioritized academics and, and I really wanted a great job after, which was the priority. But once I, like you said, once I figured out that I can maybe balance, it was it was like, all right, let's let's really try and, and do this. Yeah. You know, and, and um, I, th- I think that really you know the first year I did I started working I wasn't skiing as many pro events kind of get used to everything um and some are a little bit harder to get to just depending on work but the ones I can get to I just you know put everything into that and and just see it so differently than I used to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well the I think the epitome of that was last season yeah. right where you really had to and managed to balance things very well. And I think that that became clear in the stretch between end of July, end of September. What happened then? Yeah, so I, at the beginning of the year, I was planning, you know, hey, what tournaments am I going to be able to do this year? Right. You know, with work vacation and also trying to figure out, you know, what what tournaments can I get to? Um, I sort of, with it being a world's year, devoted most of my you know, the, my availability to that, I was saying, you know, it was always been my dream to, you know, ski in the finals at Worlds and, you know, go and compete in the Worlds and, and have a chance to really maybe, you know, push into the top 10, top five and, and really compete against these guys. And um, so I decided to not ski. I skied Swiss Pro. But anyway, I, I decided to not ski any of the summer events in Europe. Yep. I decided to kind of save vacation and say, OK, I'm putting it all into Worlds. It's going to be two weeks. After that, hopefully, you know, I'll be able to ski some more after that and, and kind of limited it to Worlds and California and 
um, Malibu Open. Yeah. And um, so I kind of had that plan the whole year, kind of worked myself to that um, and really focused on um, just doing whatever I had to do to turn two ball. Because let's face it, right now it's it's two at 41. And I mean, there's finals you, you don't even come close to making running yep. two. And three, being a lefty for me, if I can survive two, um, I, I've had this thought for a long time is if you can get through two, you can hook three, get to four. And four is a score it's that is, is worth going to any event. Yeah. Right. So um, I, I really just, you know, skiing with Jeff, skiing with Graham, it was more like I'm going to do whatever I can to turn two. It's one and a half or three or four. It's not. Okay. No more twos. Okay. So you that's, that's okay. Because you had gone to three a couple of times here in 2016. Yep. Maybe you got three again after that. Yeah, it took, it was a little bit, I don't know. I, I've, I ran three maybe once or twice a season there in between. You know, yeah. it, it, was, it was certainly a, a few and far between. I had, you know, 62s or, you know, yeah, it was, yeah. it was, um, it sort of got stuck in my head and, you know, I was, I was running 39 almost every round, but only getting two. And what helped? So, you know, you went through that process. You say, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to do whatever it takes. It's either one and a half or three or four. What, anything that helped you? Cause I mean, obviously this year you went through the hump. Yeah. You well, know, you started to get us out of two more and more often. Yeah. Um, it's first of all, I think I got my equipment a little bit more dialed in. Okay. Um, I felt like I was on a really great ski on the XTR, mm-hmm. the good XTR, where it really suited my, you know, it really helped me get through two, I think. Okay. Um, I've turned two ball on that ski more than any other ski. Got it. And my, you know, but also it was more sitting at work, watching, you know, listening to webcasts and, and saying, man, I, I really want to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was that I, I think I'm good enough to be there and. If I start turning two, I'm, you know, it's worth it to go and, and worth it to go and compete. And I think it, it was just the, the mindset of I'm going to learn how to turn two, no matter what it is. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I, I started turning two a lot more in, in practice, getting three, running four, like starting to really feel like my goal of running 41 since I was five like all of ours yeah right coming out the gates at 41 is something that we all think of and dream of yeah and for the first time last summer i felt like hey this is this is doable this isn't impossible this is something that with a little bit more work and it, it might it might happen right you know and and I think like Jeff and Graham and them, it, it, you know, it started more shift toward, hey, well, what are you doing going into three now, you know? And it was kind of just getting over that mental hump of, of you know, freaking out at two or, or whatever it may be. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you ran it in practice? I have not. I have not. I have not. I, um, it turns out four is, is just as hard as two to turn. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but I've certainly had starts and passes where I'm, early at four and just you know just can't even believe it you know yeah right, I, right like we all do you know at every pass i think i ever ran it was like major four ball freak up boom yeah right you know, exactly like, the, ma- the massive blinkers right into right. your offside turns yeah so yeah so i think my first ran my first four last year in june at the home side at little mountain um which you know i was doing in practice and 
and knew I could do and kind of put it all into that. And at the time, I wasn't skiing pro events. So I was really able to focus on scores rather than, you know, trying to just make the cut or, right? right. I was really able to, to dial it in and, and focus on, on myself. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then June comes, you know, you by then I think you already had up, made up your mind, like I'm not going to Europe, I'm just going to prepare for Worlds. Yep. Worlds 2019, Malaysia. My gosh, yeah. Let's, so Let's tease it out. So, first of all, very far away. <laughs> it's far, I mean, Malaysia. it was a yeah. damn far flight. I don't care um, where you're coming from, Malaysia is far. Very far. I, I, I took two weeks of vacation and, you know, luckily my team at work was very supportive of me. They you know, really pushed me to go and which really helped the whole process. And yep. um, I just remember having a different feeling toward it, though. It was more of a getting there. I hadn't skied a pro event in a while. And it was more of just like a I'm, I'm back in it, you know, like I'm back in the, the pro water ski scene. I get to be here. I get to be here. I was just like so thankful to be like there, you know, and, and amidst all the craziness, because let's let's be honest, it was extremely challenging. Yeah. I remember my my first pass. In practice, I had Corey in the boat, great support with the whole team there. You know, Janina was there and all that, and, and Corey was in the boat and, uh, you know, trying to be positive, right? And it right. was damn hard. And I remember <laughs> after 35, he was like, Dane, I've never seen you run 35. You know, just <laughs> right. basically like it's it's going to be hard. We're just going to have to get through this, you know. Yeah. You just make the cut and anything can happen. And, you know, it kind of plays to your strength growing up and – skiing in rough conditions and you know you can do this and I think that combined with just the feeling of being thankful to be there and just like I'm back with the people that I like to be around I'm back to you know I'm back having a chance to compete and really put all my work into you know out there yeah so um yeah and so practice set goes and um prelims come and somehow managed to go out and run 39 um, I mean, I, I just sort of tried to eliminate all every, you know, basically all the noise, just really just focus on myself. I had this opportunity and I was going to go make the most of it. And I think that my style being a little bit smaller, a little bit shorter, staying over the ski, kind of the things that I've worked on my whole life, um, certainly help in difficult conditions. Mm-hmm. And, um, probably the biggest push was a few skiers before me Tebow who had you know skied against for a long time crushed 39 smoked it in the prelims and at the time we were all kind of like all right what's what's the cut you know it's gonna be one it's gonna be two and and I remember at 39 this, at 39 yeah of course yeah and I remember the sense of urgency of there's still 18 skiers left at least Tebow just smoked 39 yeah you know like i'm i'm gonna go run 39 like i yeah. it's just what has to be get done and um yeah so that set coming off of um a world's in paris where i didn't make the final unfortunately um was just so like grat- you know it was, yeah, it was unbelievable course. so of course and and i think because you know like let, let's face it i know you you're a bit of water ski geek like myself like you know the cut worlds in the last few years has never been more than four right it's super rough in malaysia yeah. you might have that thought of like you know if you get to four you're good yeah but if someone like tibos max a 39 in your face yeah i mean and you have 18 left i mean that just immediately elevates the field right. and i knew that going off the dock it's right you know, everyone behind me, that's, that's what they're, and when they're chasing that, 
it's a whole different story. Exactly. Right. So being early, I wasn't, um, you know, I wasn't lucky enough to know, you know, being in series two, I wasn't lucky enough to know the cut. Yeah. And so I was just out there for every buoy I could, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, running 39s consistently for, you know, almost three to four years being stuck at two, but running 39 almost every round, I, I think really played to my advantage there is, yeah. you know, you just need to do what you do every day. Yeah. You know, and, and you did, and you did it to a point that put you top seeding to the final. Yeah. I remember getting done and, you know, I was like, ah, you know, people were talking, you know, and I was like, well, you know, I'm obviously was stoked right to run 39 and you know i figured i'd be in with it but i was kind of talking you know i wonder where i'll be and and i had people tell me when there was still like 12 they were like man you're gonna be top seed i'm like no you know (laughs) no way like you know and um yeah so ended up a little bit of wind came up and then once you know the cut you're just trying to survive right right? so the last 10 off the dog i I don't know what the cut was i think it was three or three and a half so somewhere in there yeah Uh, yeah. anyway and um the so usual, they were all the usual the cut, usual yeah. right so they were most of them were out there to get in like anybody else would be so yeah i ended up top seed at the worlds after you know two weeks before i was in my desk watching web you know it was <laughs> yeah, like, right 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 it, it was just such a uh, it was an unreal feeling i was i just for the first time maybe i really felt like you know i i belong here like the you know i can i can do this like let's let's keep this going and just being wow. thankful and, and really nothing to lose yeah um so well okay so obviously the happiness maybe there was a day or two in between prelims and finals and comes the day finals and you're a top seed yeah the last of the dock completely different situation than you know from prelims where you didn't know what the cut was to finals where you're the sole one with the knowledge of what it takes to win yeah, you know, I, I actually thought that that would be a little bit more terrifying. Right. But, you know, when, when I first started process, hey, you're going to be top seed. I was like, all right, you know, let's do this. And I, I really think I, luckily to have Janina there, she was like, look, you don't have to do anything different than you do. Right. You know, go ski, go have fun, right? And, um, you know, I, I didn't feel that sense of like, oh, man, you know, I'm going to have to whatever will does and t gas does and these guys that have won multiple worlds i'm gonna have to go top it no it was more like i just need to go stick to myself and and run 39 and and you know anyway you know have the best shot that i can to right and at that time it was i'm getting on the podium you know like that was the goal it was like all right let's get on the podium let's you know let's use this opportunity and i just remember standing on the dock it was an unreal feeling the last one off the dock you know, the, and there's no one else there. The yeah. world's, you know, everyone is watching. And um, I just, I still had the feeling of like, I'm just so thankful to be here, you know? Wow. And um, I think that really helped me. I, I, I won't say I wasn't nervous because obviously, you know. Yeah, of course. A bit of nerves. But I think it was, it was like, I, I think I can do this. You know, I think I can run 39 again. I think I can, you know, have a shot here. Walk me through the set, like from the start, 32 off, how were so, you feeling, you know, like. Yeah, so overall, I actually, I felt pretty dialed in, about as dialed as I, I could be in Malaysia. Um, I really tried to, my goal the whole time through 38 was stay wide, stay two hands, you know, stay away from the buoys. Yeah. Because any little bump can, I mean, it, it's over, right? Right. And so I, I really tried to just 
stay wide, keep two hands long, stay balanced. Um, was able to get through 38, and and at the end of the end, I'm all right. Like I I did this the first round, I can do it. Yep. And um, managed to get through it. And at that point, it was um, you know I got to the end of the end of the lake, and after running 39, and it was decision time. You know what do I do? Yep. And two is a score that I've run tons of times, and that decision. Um, was going to have to come as I was edge changing to two. Okay. You know, it, it was uh, it was a decision of I'm going to give myself the best one I can to be able to get to three. You know, in worst case, I can circle two. Right. And um, so I really had it in my head of this may be your opportunity to to, to potentially win. Yeah. Because it's a score that I can do. And and just to give a bit of context, there were. Three guys with two before. Three you. guys with two. Yeah. yeah. So. Freddie, Joel, and Will. Yep. Yeah. So they all had two, and um, I kind of saw it as an opportunity to to have a shot to win, and I, I might, who knows, if I ever get that you know chance again at the Worlds comes twice, you know, once every two years. And yeah. So, unfortunately, I um, I remember I, I still have a hard time watching this forty-one because it's it's just you know I was I was very excited with the way I skied, but. Um, I somehow hit one ball and just totally went down. I, um, I, I got scored zero. So a lot of people thought I missed my gate. Ah. Um, but no, I, w- I went through the gates and the problem was, is I, I hit one with like my binding. Like if you go back and look at the pictures and stuff. So anyway, didn't end up making it to two, didn't end up making it on the podium, um, ended up fourth, yep. which Two weeks before, had you told me, "Hey, if you go to the worlds, you know, and you stick to your program, you're gonna end up fourth. I mean, yeah, who right? knows? Yeah, right. In Malaysia, when anything can happen, so I, I was not, you know, sad or de- right. It was, I was, it was a happy feeling after, but it was a, it was definitely another one of those. If I ever get that opportunity, I'm gonna learn from that. I'm gonna think about that the next time before I get up. Mm-hmm. You know, and and so yeah, and. What if you, because I mean, in a situation like that, I don't know that regrets can come into play. Like, what have you learned from that experience? Um, really to be... Um, in the positive and in the negative. Yeah, so so in the negative, I think that morning I'm more focused on, and, and as I should have, this maybe is a positive, is do what you can to get through 39. Worry about it after 39. There's nothing, you can win at 39. Yeah. You got to get through it, Right. Um, and the other thing was you, you're going to know the score, right? So whatever it may be that morning, I said, I'm going to go and run two. I know yeah. I can do it. If two is seventh place, I'm going to go run two. So I had in my head, I was going to go and run 39, get to two. Um, and then I think the negative was just, I certainly didn't, I, you know, I was kind of like, all right, do I really go for it? Do I not? Do I get two? I, I didn't have that decision made up going off the dock. And I think that that's something that I certainly would next time. Yeah. You know, it, it was, um, you know, it's like someone like Will Asher can go and say, all right, I'm, I'm going to circle three and, and go to the dock. You know, um, for me it, in Malaysia with the rollers, I didn't want to be tentative. I didn't yeah. want to be, you know, end up narrow or whatever it may be so i really tried to go for it and unfortunately hit one but 
you know, had I slid through one, who knows? Right, exactly. You know, and that's what gives me hope for the next time. And yeah, so. well, you were able to convert that those experiences pretty quickly because you skied. You hadn't skied a pro event that year. I mean, Swiss pro. Yep. Um, but uh, and then you showed up to California. Yep. What and then to Malibu Open, and I, I mean, you got what fourth and third? Um, actually sixth. Sixth and, and third. Sixth and yeah. third. Um, turn two both times, which was the goal at 41. In uh, in both tournaments? In both tournaments. Okay. I ran over three ball in California in the final, um, but I got the turn and pulled a three, which was the goal, and then um, ended up getting four first round at Malibu Open. But um, I'll talk about that in a sec. But, yeah, I, I think it was less about my experience at Worlds and more about the prep that I did for Worlds. Um, you know, really just focusing on turning two and all that, but also the mental side of, Hey, you belong here. You know, you can do that. You can have a job, but also ski and compete. Yeah. Like this is something you can do. And it was the first test of that really mm -hmm. was at the worlds. Um, and you said that after the worlds, it was, as you said, the first time that you felt that you belonged in, in, in that field. Absolutely. I think, I think it really was. And it, that was something that I was have been wanting for a long time is I think I'm good enough right but can I go and do it right you know and and I think that validation helped me mentally at in California because I mean California I, I left work Friday night flew there first round prelim kind of survived you right, know right two and 41 and and that was the first time that I was kind of like all right I can not preps tremendously well and, and still succeed yeah and um, so, yeah, I think it was the prep going into Worlds and then plus the mental aspect of, of Worlds. And, and you can have a job and still compete. It's possible. Yeah. So. And there's someone, not to diverge too much, but like there's someone in your area that made a career out of that. And in my opinion, one of the best skiers of all time. No, that's right. I'll, um, I'll, I'll say, so we're sitting here at Lake 38 and Regina just pulled in. Yeah. And um, Regina is the model for that. I mean, she's owning her own pharmacy and, you know, able to ski and compete and, you know, break world records and win every tournament pretty much that she goes to. And um, so, yeah, it, it certainly is something that I look to when I took my job is it's possible. Yeah, you can do that. And I think it's a good message for, you know, maybe you're in college or, or whoever it is that that wants to pursue a career but also is, is right there competing and skiing. And I, I, th I think it's possible, you know, I, yeah. I think um, there's some good to having structure from, from a job and, and having a routine. And I, I think it certainly helped me a little bit. No, no, of course, Regina, I mean, prime example of that. Uh, I was more thinking about uh, Jeff Rogers, oh. who you told me you had a couple of conversations with in the last year or so. Yeah, yeah, so Jeff is fairly close. He skis at all the tournaments at Little Mountain. Yep. And, um, was actually my boat judge when I first ran four and then the boat judge again the first round of Malibu and I remember to like I don't, we, we had a little bit of a talk before or basically you know it was like hey you only run four with me in the boat or you know something yeah, right, like that right. and no but Jeff is um a you know someone I looked up to growing up I mean when he won the world I was I think eight yeah you know so anyway U.S. skier I remember watching him at nationals and you know, so being able to ski with him a little bit or, or just having his presence around, I mean, the, the guy is still just smashing 135, like, like you know. Yeah, better than still, anyone else in the world. Yeah. Still. And um, so, yeah, he um certainly someone I look to. Yeah, and someone that you told me that kind of helped you 
being convinced of the fact that you can pursue your career and still be part of the pro tour and still push yourself yeah i mean absolutely he um you know he made a career at you know running 39 every time getting you know smashing 135 and anyway um and yeah, owning a so business owning know, a in, business in the meantime yeah yeah i mean he told me i i remember we were judging together last fall and i was like man i you know how did you do it going to all these tournaments and uh you know because i was looking at the europe tour this year yeah of saying course. all right like I, i'd like to ski in those and he was it was funny i i couldn't believe his response he said well i would just fly in for the weekend i said what <laughs> right you know and so anyway it's a little bit crazy to think about but i, th- yeah. I think it's possible yeah yeah i yeah, know and and i think you know combining that and the fact that you now have this feeling that you belong in it because yep. everyone knew already but you know until you believe in it, it it just doesn't really happen um but yeah wow and then so california got your six and then in malibu you got your first pro podium right malibu was first pro podium yeah and that, that was yeah that was um that was a huge tournament for me i mean yeah. that was a big turning point i think um it was the last tournament of the year at the time i started looking at master's points and was and was really looking like hey if you can maybe get on the podium like you might have a chance to slide in yeah and um you know it charleston is a lake that's only three hours away from my my house in charlotte my place and so i had gone there for their fall tournament the year before and their spring tournament yeah and the play ski is unbelievable but i've also been able to kind of have the sets there where i I can just relax and ski and Mm -hmm. um so i was in a good environment and knew I've been running, you know, turning two and getting down line at 41. And yeah, first round, I was actually like, that, it's so funny that morning I was working because it was a Friday. I was, I was in my Airbnb working, right. you know, and then I took the second half of that day off. And I remember just like going out to the lake and, you know, going from working. And then I'm like, you know, let's, let's go, it's time to ski. Let's, you know, right. it's just like any other night. I mean, this is like the proper, like the epitome of like, combining work and ski you're at a tournament you work in the morning a little bit and you go ski the tournament right yeah no luckily i'm able to do that work a little bit from home and yeah. you know that certainly helps a lot but yeah i, I, I just remember telling me this is just like any other night it's just work day you know do a little bit of work yeah. and um yeah make the cut and i i think um that 39 that first round it was a bit gusty here and there and, yep. and i just completely stuffed two ball like horrible too <laughs> right it just like my ski kind of stopped there and uh you know blinkers like you know just freaking out right and managed to get through it and i think once i got through it i um i realized you know i was in yeah at the time and um kind of relaxed enough to be able to say hey let's let's see what we can do here for the next round because it's going to take more than two yeah and um, so, yeah, ran four the first round. Um, next round. Yeah, let me give you some context yeah, to yeah. why you had that thought. Because Malibu was the whole field to 16. Right. To four. Right. So I'm sure that in your your mind, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm through this one. Exactly. But I need to put up a score. I think it's the you hardest know. cut. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, to go to four. Yeah. Was, um, so I, I knew it would be more than two. So it, it didn't matter. One and a half, whatever, whatever it was, it wasn't going to be enough. Yeah. And, um, so the next day, sure enough, I had a good, en- I think I was second seed. So, um, you know, I th- um, anyway, so the cut was, I had to run three. Yeah. And Corey Vaughn was on the, on the edge. Someone I ski with a lot and, you know, I think he had two and a half. Yeah. And, um, I just knew like, Hey, you got to turn two today. There's no other option. And, um, 
that was a big turning point for me where it was like turning to when I really had to do it, you know, and because the other times when I had turned to, it, it was more of like, like I said, in the first round, I, I got through the cut. It was, Hey, let's see what we can do. Yeah. Um, and running three, I, I, that feeling was un- unreal. Just knowing I'd be able to ski in the finals of Malibu open. Yeah, that's big. I mean, it was, it was a big moment for me big moment and third place which i mean i I would consider you can get discussed and and you know have you know have your people have their own opinion but to me malibu open is like the third biggest pro tournament yeah and and well on top of this you think about the podium and and who i was skiing against it was unreal so it was you will so will won smashing 41 yep um nate second and me third and i i just I mean, that podium to me, like, I, I couldn't think of, you know, right now. I mean, Will was on fire last year, you know, when he ran that 41. He, it, it was unreal to watch, you know. And um, so, yeah, getting my first pro podium, but at a, a, you know, a big event and also having, you know, multiple world champions, you know, yeah. in the eights one twice. Will, right, it, it was, Will it was unbelievable. Eight, yeah, yeah so. it's big. Wow, yeah, it was it was a cool moment. So and a great way to finish the year, for sure, so. for sure. Um, look, I know it's a bit of a strange subject to talk about given the current world situation, but I would like to hear your thoughts about next year. So next year, so let's let's keep this um, as if, you know, unfortunately with everything going on with Corona, and um, let's just assume that all the all the tournaments are going to take place. Um, so as far as, as next year, I, I'm really, first of all, looking to ski more events. Um, with so many options out there, we're so lucky to have all of these tournaments where you yeah. can really, for me, pick and choose, hey, all right, what makes sense? Where, what can I get away with you know, with work? What, what can I do to continue to balance work and excel there while still giving myself a chance to maybe slide in masters and, and ski enough tournaments to, you know, yeah. to compete? Um, so, yeah, this year I... I'll just talk about a little bit about the tournaments I'm really looking forward to. First sure. of all, I was really looking forward to Swiss Pro. I think it's one of the greatest events that we have. I, I think it's good to kick off the year, you know, yeah. at least the U.S. year after Mumba. Um, but but got also moved to October. got moved to October. Um, L.A. Night Jam is incredible to see back. Yeah. The last time they had L.A. Night Jam, I, th- I think I was... I was 15 or, or I, I don't know, maybe 16 or so. But anyway, I, I was down there and watching. And um, so it, I'm extremely excited to go back for that. And, you know, luckily they have men's slalom. And, yep. you know, it, it seems like it's going to be a great event. I, you know, as you know, the Bennett's don't do anything halfway. No, you know, I mean, it's no, going to be full on such a great event and, and uh, one of my favorite places to ski. Yep. Um, so anyway, really looking forward to that. Europe, um, it's going to depend on work. I'm hoping to do a couple. I unfortunately won't be able to do all of them. And then, um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to finish the year like last year with, you know, California, Malibu Open. Yep. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I hope to in- increase it by a couple. Unfortunately, I probably won't be able to do as many as, you know, some of the other guys. But um, I'm looking to, to get back at it and, and ski quite a bit. Yeah, and I, I guess all of us are looking forward to it. You know, yeah. like you, you had a killer season. I mean, you're obviously one of the names in in the conversation, you know. Yeah, uh, it's cool. I, you know, like I said, it... it I've always had the feeling like I, I could, yep. I, um, you know, I, I could do it, 
and with pursuing academics and job and you know it was a little bit of a you know in in the back burner a bit um and to now be you know have that feeling of like I belong and and you know feel like I can go to any event and and compete um is something that I'm really excited about and and looking forward to it so yeah look uh before we take off I have a question that um I think you I haven't had that perspective yet on the podcast and I'd be be curious to hear yours um you're obviously like many skiers you love this sport yeah like uh, it's uh, it's part of you know how you grew up with your family you know like yes you're super serious about these slalom ski but we've done like three ski sets together chasing buoys you know yeah. trying to see who falls you know like you love the sport yeah and i've said in the podcast several times that i think there is a bit of a resurgence it's nothing crazy but mm-hmm. like uh, every year in the last two or three years we see more tournaments more people on the water more people sign up to their federations um more skis being sold boats and um from a financial standpoint mm-hmm. what do you think is something that ought to change or maybe something that is working well for the sport you know like what do you think from the business side uh what would have to happen maybe for the sport to continue this progression or make it even higher so obviously to me as we know it, it comes down to selling boats selling skis getting people on the water right yeah the more numbers the better um i think something that we can do a little bit better job is transitioning the collegiate ski scene into having accessibility you know to the sport because we all know they love it they come out and they they want to continue to do it and um i think it's going to come down to or i think something that would really help is certainly people who are willing to give all their time and, and effort and all that, like we love with Keith and, you know, all these yourself with your tournament and all that, that helps a lot. But to me, the next step is, is really having accessibility for people who want to stay in the sport. Cause t- t- tell me a bit more. What do you mean? Like the more ski sites, cheaper so, sets. What, what are you thinking? So I'm more thinking, you know, what can we do to get people on skis, um, like what can we do to look at I'll, I'll take myself for an example is I ended up in Charlotte full-time skier had I not maybe been at the level I am I, I maybe not, didn't even know that Little Mountain existed uh-huh you know so I, I think we need to do a better job of transitioning the collegiate skiers helping them through that pro hey you have this option this option this option you know maybe you can go ski a set you know with with these people in your area maybe they have hand-me-down skis maybe they have you know ability for you to ski on their boat or, or whatever it may be. So I, I think from a selling more skis, selling more boats, but that doesn't just happen overnight. It, it right. It's, it's, yeah. you gotta people peak people's interests, give them the ability to do the sport. And then down the road, like you see that come back. And I think Jay spoke at length about it, like in, in his interview with me in terms of like how the collegiate ski scene and Marcus touched on it. Or the collegiate ski scene could be a great springboard for continuing to increase numbers in the sport, right? Absolutely. Like you become a professional after college, you know, maybe five, ten years down the road, you can buy a boat, you know, you yep. get your kids in it, like, and you continue that that tradition. And the numbers of collegiate are pretty high. Very high. You know? And I think, you know, doing a better job as, you know, alumni and stuff, if, if you're fortunate enough to have a good situation and maybe you graduate from Clemson or, or wherever it may be, just reaching back and, and, and helping out those, that transition. Cause it's a hard one coming out of college and, and still being able to 
have a place to go not only but having you know a boat and and having a, a place to even do it and give yourself a chance is yeah is something that you know i unfortunately i see a lot of people fall out because it, it's just yeah uh, you know not as accessible as we would like so yeah. I, I think that gap is is really something we need to close yeah and i think accessible as you said more of a holistic way financially site uh, availability you know no site uh knowledge you yeah. know like okay maybe you know what kind of what happened here and i not right. heard from tigas that it was a thing called lake 38 i would have moved to tallahassee and not knowing exactly. again i'm a competitive skier and i would have known exactly but say someone like yo-yo like yo-yo was a collegiate skier right. and had it not been for danielle connecting us he wouldn't have known about lake 38 right yeah. and now he's skier is here ripping buoys and try to become a better skier Yeah, I think I'll also add, I mean, with stuff like what you're doing with the podcast and get, and getting involved and putting content as you speak about, we need more content. Yeah. Um, I think having a established pro tour helps not only for us, but but for the kids looking up to us. Yeah. Um, so I, I just think, um, you know, when I was younger, looking up to Parrish and Jeff Rogers and Jamie Bouchain and you know, having that out there and having that content out there really sparked my interest. And I think that's something we need to keep, yeah. keep having to the, you know, the, the kids in the sport. Well, sorry. I mean, obviously people might have heard that we had a pause for two or three seconds. Uh, we just, I think, watched Nate running a 41. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, I, yeah, I pretty, think it's uh, pretty Regina, solid 41. No? Regina little, watching. Yeah, maybe? Regina watching. A little heavy at three, but he, yeah, he made it through it. Yeah, a little it. heavy three, but... You know, but then again, like someone like him or someone like Freddie, Will, you know, like they should be on ESPN, in, in the conversation, you know, like extreme yeah. feats, you know? Right. Um, no, I agree. I think we've, we've done a little bit too much to exclude ourselves, you know, to make everything a little too perfect. And, yeah. and I, I think, um, you know, that that's something we need to all get better about is content, get it out there, bridge that gap for skiers who want to be involved, but maybe can't, Yeah. you know, or, or maybe don't have quite all the tools yet to, Well, Dane, this was a true pleasure. I enjoyed it, Matteo. Thank you so much. I'm honored, you know, that wow, you uh, wanted to word. talk, and I'm excited. Any so. shout-outs you want to give while we wait for... I just want to say a big shout-out, you know, my parents, obviously. I mean, as all of us, you know, getting in this sport, you know, we all... You need the support from your parents and family, and yeah. um, also Janina Bonneman, who, um, you know, really does so much more behind the scenes for my skiing than anyone knows, so... Thank you, G. Yeah, let's watch this 43. What do yeah, you say? Yeah, why not? Oh, slack off one. Oh, little zigzag at two and wow. two at 43. Two at 43. Off the dock. Keith Up. is stoked right now. <laughs> is he stoked? Oh, Keith, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Keith at the wheel. Keith yeah. at the wheel. Is it Keith is surrounded by world champions and world record holders right now? That's so cool. Isn't I it mean, cool? That, but that's what this place is. It's world class. It's world class. And I know you will agree with this. The vibe is really chill here. It's you know? one of the best vibes. I, I think when, you know, all the, the skiers who come for the Pro-Am really get to experience it. I, I think that's the biggest test to it is, you know, what, what are you, you know, asking, you know, like Sasha or, or Robert or, or, you know, yeah. hey, what do you guys think? Yeah. Man, that place is, you know, like yeah, everyone says it, so it's cool. Of course. So, anyway. Well, Dane, this was a true pleasure for me as well. I'm glad we got to do it. Yeah, thank and, you. And um, keep skiing that hard. We will be watching. Thanks, Matteo. I appreciate it. Boom, dude. Yeah. 
What do you think, man? I don't know. I went great. Yeah. You went great. No, I mean, I really enjoyed talking about it. This you is know, a two-parter for sure. Yeah? Like, it, it's a good two-part. You think it's worthy for that? I think it is. But, you know, it's not even worthy. It's not the interviewer. It's like how it breaks off. Right. You know, the first part, we did a lot of, like, story build up very linearly. Right. And then this hour, we really stayed on nowadays, last two years, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I really enjoyed it. I felt like I was rambling a bit, but, you know. But that's part of it. Yeah. Oh yeah, Keith, Keith is whistling in the eagle. Oh my <laughs> gosh! All right, man. Cool. Yeah.